Part twenty two of the Chronicles of Crime, Volume One, by Camden Pelham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part twenty two. Doctor Archibald Cameron, executed for high treason. The Scottish rebellion had been suppressed nearly eight years, and England had, during that time, enjoyed internal peace, when Dr. Cameron fell a victim to his exertions in the cause of the pretender. Dr. Cameron was the brother of the chief of the Highland clam of the same name, and it appears that having studied successively at Glasgow, Edinburgh, Paris, and Leyden, he returned to Scotland admirably qualified to practise the profession of medicine to which he had been brought up. Although educated in a manner which rendered him fit to mix in the best society of the day, he took up his residence in the district of Lochaber, where, in a short time, he was married to a lady of respectable family. Universally esteemed, and beloved by his neighbours for his zealous and effectual services in the civilisation of the manners of his countrymen, and for his generous conduct in the attendance of the sick poor, he was residing in the bosom of his family when the rebellion of 1745 broke out, which laid waste the country, and introduced misery and wretchedness to many a happy home. The chief of the Camerons was a zealous friend to Prince Charles, and although he firmly believed that any attempt at the restoration of the Stuart family to the throne of England must prove abortive, yet being pledged to assist his prince, he generously sacrificed his own feelings, and appeared in arms at the head of nearly twelve hundred men. Thus arrayed, he sent for his brother to undertake the medical charge of his troops, but although the doctor urged every argument which could be raised against so rash an undertaking as that which was proposed, he was at length compelled to forego all further resistance, and to attend the army in his professional capacity, although he absolutely refused to accept any commission. Thus circumstanced, Dr. Cameron was remarkable throughout the whole advance and retreat of the rebel army for the humanity and assiduity with which he attended all, whether friend or foe, who required his aid and when the Battle of Culloden put an end to all the hopes of the Pretender, he and his brother escaped to France in a vessel belonging to that kingdom. While in France the doctor was appointed physician to a French regiment, of which his brother obtained the command, but the latter, dying about two years afterwards, he joined Ogilvy's regiment in Flanders. In the meantime, proceedings had been taken against the rebel leaders in England, many of whom had forfeited their lives to the offended laws of their country, and by an act of attainder passed in the year 1746, for the effectual punishment of persons concerned in the rebellion, the life of Dr. Cameron was declared to be forfeited. In the years 1750 and 1752, subscriptions were entered into in Scotland for the support of those persons who had escaped into foreign countries, and Dr. Cameron, having already more than once visited his native country, finally, in the latter year, came over to Scotland for the purpose of procuring some permanent relief for himself and his suffering fellow-countrymen abroad. Rumours were soon set afloat that he was in Scotland, and a detachment of Lord George Beaufort's regiment was sent in search of him. Being made acquainted with the vicinity of his hiding-place, and being unable for a considerable time to discover its exact locality, the soldiers were unable to secure their prisoner, but at length perceiving a little girl, who appeared to be acting as a scout, they followed her until she met a boy, who was evidently employed in a similar capacity, to whom they observed that she whispered something. They directly pursued the boy, but being unable to reach him, they presented their guns, threatening to shoot him if he did not immediately stop. Having then secured his person, they menaced him with instant death if he did not inform them of the hiding-place of Dr. Cameron. 
The boy pointed to the house where he was concealed, and the unfortunate gentleman was directly placed under arrest, and was then immediately sent to Edinburgh, and from thence subsequently to London, where he was placed in confinement in the Tower. Upon his examination before the Privy Council, he denied that he was the person mentioned in the act of attainder, but being brought to the bar of the court of the King's Bench on the 17th of May, he acknowledged that he was the person who had been attained, on which Lord Chief Justice Lee pronounced sentence in the following terms. You, Archibald Cameron of Lochiel, in that part of Great Britain called Scotland, must be removed from hence to His Majesty's prison of the Tower of London, from whence you came, and on Thursday the 7th of June next, your body to be drawn on a sledge, to the place of execution, there to be hanged, but not till you are dead, your bowels to be taken out, your body quartered, your head cut off, and fixed at the king's disposal, and the Lord have mercy on your soul. After his commitment to the tower he begged to see his wife, who was then at Lille, in Flanders, and on her arrival the meeting between them was inexpressibly affecting. The unfortunate lady wept incessantly, and on going to take a final leave of her husband on the morning of execution, she was attacked with fits, which left her only after grief had deprived her of her senses. On the morning of the 7th of June, 1753, the unhappy man was carried to Tyburn to be executed. He was dressed in a light-coloured coat, red waistcoat and breeches, and a new bag-wig. He looked much at the spectators, in the houses and balconies, as well as those in the street, and bowed to several persons with whom he was acquainted. He was attended at the scaffold by a clergyman of the Church of England, and, before his being turned off, he declared that he was at peace with all men, and that he died firmly hoping for the forgiveness of his sins through the merits of his blessed Redeemer. When his body had hung during twenty minutes it was cut down, and the heart was taken out and burned, but the sentence was not further fulfilled. On the following Sunday his remains were interred in a large vault in the Savoy Chapel, Dr. Cameron, it appears, was the last person who suffered punishment on account of connection with the rebellion of Scotland, and of all those who were concerned in it, probably he least of all deserved the unhappy fate which befell him. The very small and apparently unwilling part which he took in the proceedings should have screened him from condign punishment, more especially at a period when all appearance of discontent having vanished, no further harm was to be apprehended. Captain John Lancy, executed for burning his ship. Captain Lancy was a native of Biddeford, in Devonshire, and was respectably connected. At an early age he exhibited a predilection for a seafaring life, and having served his apprenticeship, he was employed as mate of a vessel belonging to Mr. Benson, a rich merchant of Biddeford, at that time MP for Barnstable. Having married a sister of Benson's, Lancy was soon advanced to the command of the vessel, and on his return from a voyage he was surprised at receiving an order from his employer to refit as soon as possible, Mr. Benson saying that he would insure the vessel for twice her value, and that Lancy should destroy her. The latter hesitated at first to assent to this extraordinary proposition, and for a time the suggestion was not again mentioned, but another opportunity being afforded to Benson on his brother-in-law dining with him, he plied him with wine, and having pointed out to him the poverty to which his family might be reduced, in case of his refusal, by his being dismissed from employment, the unhappy man at length yielded to his persuasions. A ship was now fitted out and bound for Maryland. Goods to a large amount were shipped on board, but re-landed before the vessel sailed, and a lading of brickbats, taken in by way of ballast, 
and the vessel had not been long at sea before a hole was bored in her side, and a cask of combustible ingredients set on fire, with a view to destroy her. The fire no sooner appeared than the captain called to some convicted transports, then in the hold, to inquire if they had fired the vessel, but this appears to have been only a feint to conceal the real design. The boat being hoisted out, all the crew got safely on shore, and then Lancy repaired immediately to Benson to inform him of what had passed. The latter instantly dispatched him to a proctor, before whom he swore that the ship had accidentally taken fire, and that it was impossible to prevent the consequences which followed. The crime was soon afterwards discovered, however, and Lancy was taken into custody. But, secure in his anticipation of protection from Benson, he did not express much concern at this situation. His employer, in the meantime, was perfectly aware of the consequences which would fall upon him, and fled to avoid them, and his unhappy dupe, being brought to trial, was capitally convicted, and received sentence of death. He subsequently lay in prison for about four months, during which time he pursued his devotional exercises with the utmost regularity, and was hanged on the 7th of June, 1754, at Execution Dock, in the 27th year of his age. Nicol Brown, executed for the murder of his wife. This malefactor appears to have suffered for a crime as savagely ferocious as it was deliberate. He was a native of Cramond, near Edinburgh, where he was decently educated, and was apprenticed to a butcher. But his taste, tending towards a seafaring life, he entered on board a man-of-war as a sailor, and remained in that situation for four years. On his return he married the widow of a respectable butcher, who had left her a decent fortune. Taking to a habit of drinking, he seldom came home sober at night, and his wife following his example, he used frequently to beat her for copying his own crime. This conduct rendered both parties obnoxious to their acquaintance, and the following revolting anecdote of Brown will incontestably prove the unfeeling brutality of his nature. About a week after the execution of Norman Ross, already mentioned, for murder, Brown had been drinking with some company at Leith, till, in the height of their jollity, they boasted what extravagant actions they could perform. Brown swore that he would cut off a piece of flesh from the leg of the dead man and eat it. His companions, drunk as they were, appeared shocked at the very idea, while Brown, to prove that he was in earnest, procured a ladder which he carried to the gibbet, and cutting off a piece of flesh from the leg of the suspended body of Ross, brought it back, broiled, and ate it. The circumstances of the crime for which he was executed were as follow. After having been drinking at an ale-house, in the Canongate he went home at about eleven at night, in a high degree of intoxication. His wife was also much in liquor, but, though equally criminal himself, he was exasperated against her, and struck her so violently that she fell from her chair. The noise of her fall alarmed the neighbours, but, as frequent quarrels had happened between them, no immediate notice was taken of the affair. In about fifteen minutes the wife was heard to cry out, "'Murder! Help! Fire! The rogue is murdering me!' And the neighbours, now apprehending real danger, knocked at the door, but no person being in the house but Brown and his wife, admission was refused. The woman, meantime, was heard to groan most shockingly, and a person looking through the keyhole saw Brown holding his wife to the fire. He was called on to open the door, but he refused to do so, and, the candle being extinguished, and the woman still continuing her cries, the door was at length forced open. When the neighbours went in, they beheld her a most shocking spectacle, lying half-naked before the fire, and her flesh in part broiled. In the interim Brown had got into bed, pretending to be asleep, 
and when spoken to appeared ignorant of the transaction. The woman, though so dreadfully burnt, retained her senses, and accused her husband of the murder, and told in what manner it was perpetrated. She survived till the following morning, still continuing in the same tale, and then expired in the utmost agony. The murderer was now seized, and being lodged in the jail of Edinburgh, was brought to trial, and capitally convicted. On August 14, 1754, he was attended to the place of execution at Edinburgh by the Reverend Dr. Brown, but to the last he denied having been guilty of the crime for which he suffered. After execution he was hung in chains, but the body was stolen from the gibbet and thrown into a pond, where, being found, it was exposed as before. In a few days, however, it was again stolen, and though a reward was offered for its discovery, it was not again found. Edward Morgan, executed for murder. The circumstances which came out on the trial of Edward Morgan at the Assizes of Glamorgan were these. According to annual custom, he had been invited by Mr. Rees Morgan of Lanverbon, his cousin, to spend the Christmas holidays. He had partaken of the first day's festivity, and retired to bed along with a young man, apprentice to Mr. Rees Morgan. No sooner had he laid his head upon the pillow, to use his own expression, than the devil whispered him to get up and murder the whole family, and he determined to obey. He first made an attempt on the apprentice, his bedfellow, but he struggled so far as to effect his escape, and hid himself. The murderer then provided himself with a knife, which he sharpened on a stone as deliberately as a butcher uses his steel, and thus prepared he softly crept to the bedchamber of his host and hostess, and cut their throats in their sleep. He then proceeded to the bed of their beautiful daughter, with whom the monster had but an hour before been sporting and playing, and with equal expedition, and by the same means, robbed her of life. Not satisfied, however, with these deeds of blood, he seized a firebrand, and proceeded to the barn and outhouses, setting fire to them all, and to complete the sum of his crime, he fired the dwelling-house after plundering it of some articles. The Gloucester Journal, of the year 1757, describes the property consumed by fire on this melancholy occasion to have been the dwelling-house, a barn full of corn, a beast-house, with twelve head of cattle in it. It was at first conjectured that the unfortunate people had perished in the conflagration. Their murdered bodies, it is too true, were consumed to ashes, but the manner of their death was subsequently proved, partly by what the concealed apprentice overheard, but chiefly from the murderer's own confession. Morgan was executed at Glamorgan, April the 6th, 1757. End of part 22